Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning um, as we close out spring break. How many of you have had a good spring break? All right. How, yeah, the, the, the rest of us in the room are like, what's the hat? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, good news, some of us reclaimed our man card yesterday. Uh, we went shooting. We've been, some of us have been admitting on Sundays that we watched This Is Us. And so we've been talking about the fact that some of our guys handed out Kleenex last week for those of you that weep through This Is Us, but we redeemed ourselves yesterday and blew up targets. So we feel like men, so uh, we can continue this series and be secure in our manhood, all right? Uh, Ralph Ellison said this, he was the author of Invisible Man, he said this, made this statement, I've been reading this to you each week, he said, when I discover who I am, I'll be free. That's what he said, and, and we see that borne out in Scripture. I mentioned several occasions last week uh, where people discovered who they were and it changed their whole life. Maybe the most famous one of those uh, revelations uh, that you would uh, kind of understand and be able to, to know for yourself is the change from Jacob to Israel. He was a trickster, he was a supplanter, he was a conniver, and yet when he discovered who he was, he had a revelation from God who he was, it changed his entire life and how he lived. And so what we've been doing is we've been uh, examining, I hope you've discovered by now, if you're familiar with Scripture at all, you know what we're doing is we're reading the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon. It's probably one of his longest sermons. Um, You will see that borne out for sure today because we're going to read an extended passage. But basically what happens is Jesus takes a journey up a mountain, and in that moment there, he begins to talk about us. He literally lays out for us information, revelation, about who we are supposed to be. If we're believers, if we're followers, then Jesus is saying to us, this is you. This is how you're supposed to live. And so we've talked about the fact that he said that we're blessed. Um, That was the first part. We call those the Beatitudes. Uh, We're blessed in every situation. Whether we like the situation or not, we still come out at the end of the day, we're blessed. Then we talked about last week that he said that we're square pegs and spotlights. We are the salt of the earth. We're like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so we want to continue this morning and examine what Jesus says about us. Now, I will tell you that today, uh, this is going to be the most scripture that we cover in one setting. I will also tell you that this is the most brutal and blunt passage of this sermon that Jesus preaches to his believers. And so I just want to encourage you to buckle up because it's going to get tied up in here this morning. Uh, I I heard this on the radio this week. Did you know that in Maine, uh, they just started a new school? It's called adulting school. This is crazy. Uh, it, 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 they, they say that they started this, please don't take offense at this young adults in the room, but they say they started this because so many young adults have spent so much time in their mom's basement playing games, video games, and having no real social interaction because you do know that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat are not real, right? Because we only post the highlights of our life there and we fake it. And so they said they don't even know how to socially interact. They don't know how to manage life. And so they have started a school 
and it's called an adulting school. An adulting school. Well, what literally takes place in this passage that we're going to read today on the, as Jesus is preaching is he invites his believers to adulting school. That's exactly what happens. It's brutal. All right, so here we go. Join me. You can read along. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read verses 19 through 48. Listen to what he says. He says, trivialize even the smallest item in God's law and you will only have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. Now, I'm just going to stop there long enough to say the next sections we read, he deals with four areas of our life that we have to grow up in. And so I'm just going to give you the, the kind of the subheading of these sections. The first place, first area he talks about is we got to grow up in contentious relationships. How do we handle contentious relationships? He says, you're familiar with the command of the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or a sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. And all the older brothers said amen. And this, this, the simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Or say that you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you'll likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. That's the first area. The second area that he deals with is he deals with lust. He says this, you know the next commandment pretty well too. Don't go to bed with another spouse, but, but don't um, think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. That's a powerful statement. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they, they also corrupt. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else you, uh, be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you noticed it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded uh, uh, for good in the dump. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his life wife let him do it legally giving her divorce papers and her legal rights too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim pretending to be righteous because you are legal please no more pretending if you divorce your wife you're responsible for making her an adulteress unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity and if you marry such a divorced adulteress you are automatically an adulterer yourself you can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure Powerful passage of scripture. Then he deals with area three, truth. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smoke screen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it. Or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. It's making your speech, in making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your way, 
you go wrong. Area number four, enemies. Here's another old saying that uh, deserves a good uh, a second look. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemy. That's tough. I, I, to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the, enemy, the energies of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to, the, to, to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. Then he closes it by saying this. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out uh, your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards Ouch. Tough passage of scripture. Talk about raising the bar. Jesus literally in these moments, this extended passage, he literally raises the bar for those of us that call ourselves disciples and followers of Jesus. He says this, you will have to do far better than the Pharisees in living right. He's calling us to a higher level of living. He's talking about this. He confronts this idea I would say it like this today. He confronts this idea of religious fronting. Acting like saints or, or, or claiming to be saints but living like ain'ts. Playing a role. Where all we're doing is playing a role. We're on this stage and we play this part and we fake our way through it. But, but, but we talk this good game but we don't really live right. And Jesus is de- declaring to us that, that we have to come to this place where we grow up and we live better in these four areas. Contentious relationships. We do better there. We do better in the area of lust. We do better in the area of truth. We do better in this area where we, how we respond to enemies. And so let's break this down for a minute. Jesus knew that the Pharisees would never pull the trigger and murder someone. He knew that because that would make them unholy, right? So he knew that, but what he also knew is that they would hate someone to death. Jesus says that we've got to do better than that in the area of relationships and we must handle our anger differently. How many of you know that Jesus got angry? Come on, don't, don't point him or paint him as this weak, mamby-pamby, girly man. He, he got angry. In fact, he got so angry that, that he literally lashed out, right? That was Jesus. But then Paul comes along and he kind of clarifies for us in Ephesians how we're supposed to handle that kind of anger. He says, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, there is a time frame for anger. It must be short-lived. This anger cannot last a lifetime. 
Because if it does, then it becomes a sin. How many of us have kind of harbored these angry feelings towards people and businesses and places and we've allowed it to simmer until it's become a sin. Paul says we're not supposed to do that. Then what happens is we get our mouth involved and we use words as weapons and Jesus demands that we manage our words because we are supposed to be grown up enough to understand that words literally kill. So how do we act like grown-ups when we have a contentious relationship. How do we do that? Well, first of all, Jesus says, this is us. We are first responders. All right, that's the first one. Fill in your little blank there so you'll stay with me. You, we are first responders. Notice, I want, you to, I want you to notice this, that as Jesus is dealing with this concept of contentious relationships, he doesn't approach it from this idea that we will never be offended. If I ask for a show of hands... Of every, anybody in the room that's never been offended, I think I might do that. And when I do that, if anybody raises their hand, I want you to slap them as hard as you can. So just to prove that they're human. Because the human condition is this. We all get offended. We all get hurt. You cannot live through life without having an opportunity to be offended. So Jesus is not asking us to live a non-unhuman, unrealistic life. He literally approaches this from this concept, you will be offended at some point. He knew that. And so he, he, he's not saying that you won't be offended. What he does is he explains that grudges block our worship and our prayers. He understood that. In other words, a breakdown in our earthly relationship has a heavenly relationship implication too. That if you have a breakdown in relationship with friends, relatives, co-workers, classmates, and you begin to hold grudges because of offense, that it literally breaks down your ability to have a relationship with the Father. And so what Jesus does is he makes it very clear that we're supposed to be first responders. So many of us sitting around waiting with a grudge, we wait on somebody else to make the first move. The problem with that is how many of you know they seldom do? In fact, most of the time what you discover is they don't even know you're mad at them. Have you noticed that? And so we sat around in this, this funk because we're mad and we're offended and we're waiting on them to make a response and they never move towards us and it creates a stalemate and our relationship with God becomes stale because of an offense. And Jesus says this. He says, he says don't lose a minute. How many of you have lost a minute because of offense. How many of you have lost a day because of offense? How many of you have lost a week of your life all wrapped up in offense? How many of you have lost a month of your life all wrapped up and consumed by this grudge? How many of you have lost a year of your life it's completely consumed, overtaken, constantly thinking about who did you wrong? And Jesus says, no way. He says, you cannot waste a minute. You've got to make the first move. You are, this is what he says to us. He says, grow up and be a first responder. Don't wait on them. You go to them first. Why? Because how many of you also understand that anger is a key point of leverage in the enemy's hands against our life? Anybody experience that? If, if somebody offends you and you don't deal with it, have you experienced the fact that the devil has the ability to use that anger and that offense to, to impact your life? Nobody but me? 
Okay, I just want to make sure. See, this is what I understand. If we don't deal with offense quickly, we allow anger to interpret intentions. That's good. You ought to write that down. If we don't deal with anger quickly, we allow the enemy to cause us to interpret intentions through the lens of the anger of our life. And we begin to make assumptions about why they hurt us. And it breaks down relationships. And then what happens is we find us in bondage. Not them, us. We end up in bondage. And so Jesus says, listen, I don't want you to be separated with man, and I don't want you to be separated with God, so I need you to go out of your way, and you be the first responder. You be the grown-up in the situation. Some of you just need to be grown-ups in the situation and make the first move. Then he begins to deal with the second area, and Jesus goes on, and he says, this is us. He said, This is kind of odd, but he says, this is us. He says, we're pirates. Okay, I'll explain. Don't look at me like that. Listen to what he says. It's a powerful statement. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker. I, I guess I ought to read it like this. Your heart. No, I can't do the heart. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I tried. This is the best pirate imitation I've got. Your, your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. In fact, how many of you also know that the body is usually only a manifestation of what's going on in the heart? Lust must be cut off at its source, and its source is looks. That's the source. It can't get into our heart if it doesn't get into our eyes. Okay, it's quiet in here. All right. Jesus says that we must be willing to live one-eyed. Pirates, patch. Okay, make the connection. Come on. You're worth waiting on this one. I know you're off out of school and you're slow this week, but, but come on now. We've got to get back. Okay. So one-eyed. What's he talking about? He's talking about we must become singular in our focus so that we focus on God and we don't become consumed by the, the things that cause us to lust and, and fall into these traps. Jesus is trying to teach us to be brutally honest about how we deal with what we look at. Brutally honest. Listen, I, I just want to tell you this morning, just so you'll know, that wandering hands and feet are the byproduct of wandering eyes. And I knew it was going to be quiet this morning, but Jesus is saying this. There are no exceptions. You're a grown-up. No exceptions. Be brutal. Do whatever you have to do. That's why when he goes on and he talks about, uh, if you notice your hand is raised in, uh, in, in this uh, moment of wanting to strike, cut it off. What's he, what is he saying? He's talking about being extreme. That's pretty extreme, right? Pluck out your right eye. That's pretty extreme, right? If, if we, okay, we're going to have altar call here in a little while, and we're going to do that. We're going to pluck out right eyes, and we're going to cut off hands. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's crazy talk. But what he's literally trying to teach us is that we must become extreme in our focus and are ex very extreme in the steps that we're willing to take to keep these things from causing us to sin. We're supposed to be grown-ups. Well, you can't. I, I'm not letting you put password on my phone because I, I'm a man. I'm not giving you my password. Grow up. You can't handle it. You can't handle it. I'm not getting rid of cable out of my house. If you can't handle it, you can't handle it. I'm not letting you put covenant eyes on my computer. I'll just go. I'll just, come on now. 
And, and see, what all the women want to do is point at all the men, but the, the women are just as bad as the men now. Okay. He knows, and we should know by watching the examples of those that have gone before us, that it is inevitable that our life will end up on a trash pile if we allow lust to run rampant in our life. A wandering eye leads to a wounded heart. It's inevitable. You cannot escape it. That is the law. If you have a wandering eye, it will cause you to be wounded in your spirit. And Jesus says, grow up. Deal with this ruthlessly. We don't even want preachers to talk about it. And Jesus is saying, listen, we got to move past that and grow up and understand that this is a problem. And we can try to, we can try to allow and say, well, I'm just window shopping. It's okay as long as I just window shop. I didn't really actually buy. I just window shop. Baloney. Grow up. Because eventually if you window shop long enough, you're going to go into the store. And you're going to buy. And you're not going to get to return. He says, be an adult in this area. We've been told to keep our hands to ourselves. Jesus raises the bar and says, no, I'm not telling you just to keep your hands to yourself. I'm also telling you to do this. Keep your eyes to yourself. If you've got to walk through life like this, then walk through life like this. I've used the example before how to tell the difference between uh, a, a temptation and a sin, it, it, but, it, but it just bears out. Every time it's perfect, it's like you, you drive through the neighborhood, you see the woman uh, mowing her yard in a bikini, and you look, that's, that's temptation. When you drive around the block to get another look, that's sin. But how many of us do that in life over and over again? And not just with people, we do it with things. And Jesus is saying, grow up. Drive past and keep on driving. We know the result is destruction. Then he goes on and he says, not only are we pirates, he says, this is us. We should be yes men. Yes men. In the third area, Jesus is confronting the fact that the Pharisees had developed an elaborate system of making oaths in such a way that it would limit their liability. They knew that, that according to the law in Deuteronomy chapter 23, chapter 23, that if they made a vow, if they didn't fulfill that vow, it was a sin. And so what the Pharisees had begun to do is they were now wrapping up religious words in their oaths that would limit their liability so that they could say what they thought we wanted them to say and they wouldn't have to do what they said they would do. I'll pray for you in Jesus' name. Okay. Um, so they would, they would muddy the water, if you will, and sound like they're making you a promise, but there was no real action behind the promise. Jesus comes along and he says, quit doing that stuff. Be yes men. Uh, John Stott said this. He said, swearing or taking oaths is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Another guy, uh, A.M. Hunter, says this. Oaths arrive because men are so often liars. Jesus says, this is us. We should, when we say something, we do it. We are people of our word. When I make a promise, when I see you on Sunday and I say, I will pray for you, it ought to mean that at some point during the week, I actually stop and pray for you. When, when, when we say, if you need me, 
I'm here. Call me anytime. But then when our phone rings and we see the number and we know who it is and we won't answer, then we're no better than the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying that we should be people of truth. We should be yes men. When we say yes, it's a yes. When I say no, it's a no. And I live up to my word. Why? Because Jesus understood this. When we give our word, we are reflecting on his word. We are representatives of the one we represent. And so when I say I will do something, if I don't do it, I give God a bad name. And if I say I won't do something, and then I go ahead and do it, I misrepresent him. So Jesus says that we should grow up so that our yes is a yes and our no is a no, so that we reflect on him appropriately and properly. So my question to you this morning in this area is this, how good is your yes? Yeah, I'll do that for you. I'll take care of that. And three weeks later, we're still waiting. Yeah, I'll come by. I'll come by and help you out in that. And then we have to call somebody else because your word's not worth. Okay, how good is your no? I, I would never do that. And then a week later, I won't tell anybody. You can just share it all with me. Just pour out your soul. I won't tell a soul. And then we find it on Facebook. Jesus saying, stop that mess. Grow up. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, because you're representing the Father. Then finally, he says this, and this one sounds really strange, and I'll, I'll explain. He says, not only are we yes men, but this is us. We're two-faced. Now, how, Steve, can you tell us to be yes men and be honest, and now tell us to be two-faced? Well, Jesus says that we are to turn the other cheek. I got two sides of my face. And Jesus says when somebody strikes you, you should turn the other cheek. Give them the other side too. If you hit me on this side of my face, then I will turn my cheek and let you strike the other side of my face. But there's a problem with that. That's crazy talk. Isn't it? Because that's not the society I grew up in. That's not how I've been trained. How I've been trained is this. If you hurt me, doggone it, I'm going to hurt you. And not only am I going to hurt you, I'm going to plan and connive long enough so that when I come out of the hiding, when you least expect it, 25 years later, because you did me wrong in high school and now I'm at the reunion. 25 years later, I'm coming for you. And when I come for you, it's going to be Katie by the door. Y'all ain't never heard that statement, some of y'all young ones. That means I, it's going it's to be bad. I'm going to heap it on, and it's going to be, I'm going to humiliate you right in front. It's going to be the worst day of your life. That's how I was trained. Well, don't look at me like that. You were too. You pushed me down in, in the, on the playground. I'm pushing you down. You talk bad about me in the hallway. Okay. All right, y'all act like you're holy and all, but we've been taught to strike back. We've been taught to take, a, take revenge. We're, we've been taught to give pain for pain. And if you, if you hurt me, I will do my dead level best to inflict more pain on you. And Jesus comes along and he says that even the pagans are friendly to those that are friendly to them. Even heathens are nice to the nice. 
Jesus says the only way to, to, to live your life in such a way that it shines and stands out in stark contrast to the society that we live in, and here it is, and it's hard to do, but it's a part of being an adult. The only way to stand out and be in stark contrast is this. When somebody does you wrong, you don't strike back. That's hard to do. There's no way to stand out by being nice to nice. Jesus literally says this. It's how we treat those that treat us badly that sets us apart and puts God on display. I just need to tell you this morning, when your boss does you wrong and you treat him nice afterwards, when your neighbors treat you badly, when classmates ridicule you and you go out of your way to treat them right, can I tell you that in that moment you act and look more like Jesus than any other point in your life? I can prove it because Jesus endured more pain and more ridicule and more scorn as he was beaten to within an inch of his life and he never struck back. He, he, he kept silent and he... And here's the truth. Jesus had the ability and the resources necessary to retaliate. The devil was right. He could have called 10,000 of 10,000 angels and they would have come and rescued him. And he never did. And he sets this example for us and he shows us that you have to be two-faced. Who is stronger? The one who hits back or the one who has the ability to hit back and doesn't? Who's stronger? And yet some of us, we won't even let somebody get the last word in an argument. And Jesus endures the pain of beatings and crucifixions and spitting on him and publicly mocking him. And he never says a word. And yet, i got to get the last word of every conversation, of every argument, of every situation. Some of us can't stop dreaming and fantasizing about revenge. Nobody knows it. We just do it in the privacy of our own house, in our car, and we begin to think in our mind, man, if, I could, if I'd have just thought to say... Anybody like that after the conversation? If I had just thought to say, and then you begin to fantasize, I could have said this right at the, see, I, I, just me and a couple other people were the only ones. If I just said it just like this, I could have cut them to the bone. And when I get the opportunity, it's going to come back up around. I'll be prepared. They won't even know it was me. They, they did me wrong like last week, and they didn't know it. But now when, when the opportunity is right, Nobody's looking. I'm going to let the air out of the tires. I know none of y'all y'all so holy. Y'all never think like this, but y'all just take a moment in my mind for a second. They did me wrong. So I've got a key, and there's a nice paint job. And, and then I realize Jesus says, grow up. Grow up. Adult a little bit. And take their beatings. Take their mocking, take their ridicule, take their Facebook post. And don't feel the need to strike back, even if you had the ability to do so. Because in that moment, when you turn the other cheek, you become more like Jesus. Gift wrap your best 
when you've been treated the worst. Jesus wraps all this up in an overarching theme of, uh, of uh, all these things that we've talked about. And he comes along and he, and he uses this term that I've been using. He says, this is us. We're grown-ups. Paul said it like this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But he's saying we're no longer children. Jesus is saying you're no longer children. You are supposed to act like grown-ups. It's time to adult. So as we deal with broken relationships and as we deal with the area of lust in our life and as we deal with our truth level in our life and as we deal with this, this, this the, the, the being done wrong in our life, Jesus says, grow up. That's who you are. And I'm challenging you this morning. It's time to grow up. In these four areas, we have to be grown-ups. We have to adult. We have to behave and treat people differently because we are citizens of a different kingdom. So we don't act like everybody else. So my question, last question, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to give you time to pray this morning. My, my last question is this. is, Are you acting like grown-ups? When it comes to the area of a broken relationship in your family, are you acting like a grown-up? When it comes to the area of a broken relationship at work, are you acting like a, a grown-up? When it comes to the area of a lust, whether it be physical lust about a, a person and, and the way they look or their body, or maybe it's lust after a material item, are you acting like a grown-up? Or are you allowing your eyes to entrap you? Jesus says, go to the extreme. When you're dealing with the area of truth in your life, are you... Are you living up to your word? Are you representing God's word correctly by how you react with your word? Is your yes a yes and your no a no? Are you acting like a grown-up? When it comes to the area where somebody's done you wrong, are you turning your other cheek or are you plotting revenge? Are you acting grown-up? This is us. We're grown-ups. I want you to do this. I want you to stand with me this morning. And I'm going to pray over you, but then we're going to spend some time in the altar this morning. Because I think Jesus hit an area, one of these four areas we all struggle in. I don't think there's anybody exempt this morning. I think the truth be told, each and every one of us has one of these areas that we struggle in. Being an adult is no fun. Have you figured that out? I'd kind of like to go back to like five years old. Too far? Okay, seven years old. No cares, no concerns. Don't have to pay any bills. Jesus knew that the day was going to come when we were going to develop in our relationship with the Father that we could no longer act like children. And so he opens up adulting school on a mountain and he says live differently live like this don't live like this Father this morning I pray that as we examine our own life uh, I think I would be pretty accurate in telling you what you already know that everybody under the sound of my voice including me we all struggle one of these four areas 
It doesn't really matter if we've been in relationship with you for 45 years or maybe only four months. The truth is, is all of us struggle in one of these areas. And the other truth that we don't like to admit is that for most of us, there's one of these areas that has been, continues to be, and probably always will be an area that we have to stay on guardian. And so, Father, I'm asking you to lay that bear in us today. Let us be honest with you. You know us, but we try to pull the wool over your eyes too, even though we know we can't. I pray that we would be very honest with ourselves and honest with you this morning and that we would grow up a little bit today and we would become more like you in how we live so that we can live up to what you say about us. We are supposed to be grown-ups because we live in a different kingdom. I pray that you'd help us today. In Jesus' name, this is how I want us to do this. These altars are open for just the next couple of moments. Um, Maybe you feel more comfortable kneeling where you are. It doesn't matter to me, but I want us to spend some time praying about Whichever one of these areas, maybe you're in that boat where it's all four areas, but I, whatever area you feel like that you need to grow up in, I want you to spend some time talking to Jesus and ask him to help you in this area. Would you, would you take some time this morning and spend some time with him and let him grow you up this morning?
as I go, hand of God, my defense by my side, and as I rest, breath of God, fall
Father, my prayer is this morning is that you would help us to grow up, that we would begin to mature in our faith, that we would begin to live far better than what we've been living, that people would begin to take notice that there's something different about us. We are different people. And so, Father, I pray that there would be a maturity level about us as we deal with relationships, as we deal with lust, as we deal with truth, as we deal with being struck, Father, I pray that in Jesus' name that we would be a group of people that are grown up. I pray that you would accomplish this in the powerful, in the mighty, in the different name, the one that showed us how to do this by his own life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Would you touch your neighbor and say, I'm grown, I'm grown. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.